Amen, amen. Amen. Do you want to take your seats? <clears throat> wow, thank you. Danny started our uh, Destiny Dynasty series last week. I'm mixing up my 90s sitcoms. Uh, their Dynasty series. Um, and we're looking at how we build kingdom families um, in the life and times of David in 1 and 2 Samuel. Just turn with me to uh, 2 Samuel. You'll find it fairly near the start of your Bibles before the Psalms. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm just going to read a chunk of scripture. um, Maybe give you a little bit of context. Although it's explained for us in the passage. David's the king of Israel at this point. Just reading from verse 1 of chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. And he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. And I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body. I'll establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Lord, we come before you this morning. We're inviting you, please, to speak through this passage, through this simple series as we look at the life of David. We don't don't just want to learn some nice lessons. We're believing prophetically you're building something in us for today and for the generations to come that will be of uh, for, for the sake of your glory and for the expansion of your kingdom. And so we just pray for fresh faith. Give us ears to hear what you're saying this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> When I was uh, 19 or 20 years old, I went to pray. I was asked to go and pray for a man who had terminal cancer in his brain. 
He'd been given just a few weeks, maybe a few short months to, to live. I don't remember all the details now. It was a while ago. Um, it was when Ron Canoli was first in the hit parade. Um, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I prayed for quite a few people that were sick, and most of them had got worse. Um, but, uh, but I went to pray for this guy full of expectation in God, full of youthful enthusiasm. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing. We prayed for that man. He was healed. He's still alive today. My friend Phil was with me. Let me introduce you to Phil. What do I do here? Let's do that. Ah, tell you what. Let me turn it on. There we go. The guys are are giving me, do the slider. Do the slider. There we are. This is Phil. Meet Phil. Phil was with me. Phil came with me. A couple of years before, in my late teenage years, Phil used to make me go with him. Everywhere he went to preach, Steve would tag along. I'd carry his bags. And then he would throw me in at the deep end. That's an English expression. Phil would uh, be standing up in front of the church we were visiting. And he'd say, oh, Steve's just going to share a few words. Am I? Am I? uh, And sometimes we'd just be in the last song before the preach. He'd say, "Just, just find something to preach or greet the church with. I'd be hunting through my Bible looking for something to say. My mind going blank. I remember one time uh, Phil was serving some churches in the north of Germany up in Schleswig-Holstein. Big shout for the north of Germany. Hey, guten Tag. Um, Ich heiße Steve. Ich wohne in Crawley. Stop. No saying stop. And uh, and we were out in a town square, a little town. And Phil said, uh, just just preach the gospel in the open air. I said, what well, now? He said, yeah, now. And I said, oh, I can't. He said, my friend Steve's just going to preach the gospel for two minutes. So <laughs> I came forward. Uh, this was Phil. Uh, thanks, Phil. Um, what you see today, you can thank Phil for. Do you know, before that, when I was in my younger teenage years, Phil was the one that would come and tap me on the shoulder, say, I'm expecting to see you at the prayer meeting this week. There used to be a prayer meeting, a men's prayer meeting every Saturday morning. Phil would say, I'll see you there Saturday morning, eight o'clock Saturday morning. I'd, I'd get there, uh, usually half asleep. Um, but Phil would, would pray for people and he would make me go and pray for people with him. And then he'd, he'd pray and prophesy. And then he'd say, oh, Steve's just going to prophesy over you. And I'd go, oh, okay, 13, 14 years old. I, I grew up in my dad's church. Phil was one of the elders, but Phil became a different kind of dad. Did what, what I would never have responded to my dad in, um, but Phil became that, that for me. I, I learned to preach with Phil. I learned about the prophetic with Phil. I learned to, how to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with Phil and learned how to lead other people into baptism in the Holy Spirit with Phil. I learned how to pray for the sick and see the sick healed with Phil. I learned how to enjoy the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit with Phil. I remember coming back from a meeting somewhere. We had a cassette on. It was probably Ron Canoli. Cassette on in the car. And we were so overwhelmed with the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit. We had to pull over the car. We were laughing. Were you in the car with us? We were dating probably. Uh, laughing, crying. Phil couldn't drive. It was just a, I, I learned all this around Phil. And, and then we were sent off on our own. In fact, the Sunday we were sent off from my dad's church, it was Phil that led the prayer time for us. And he, he dedicated our, our three-month-old baby, Noah, um, and uh, sent us off. And, and, and we became the people that were beginning to build and lead others through. That's not the stage we're in now. We're in a new generation now. We're not in that season. Here's a, if you're writing notes this morning, here's one note to write down. You, you need to know when the season has changed. You can be doing the right things in the same way, and they were right once, but it's the wrong time to be doing them now. We're in a new season now. Prophetically, we sense that. This, this dynasty series has been something that's 
feels very personal to me at the moment. Part of the prophetic burden on us to continue to pioneer with a big kingdom vision into the next season, the next generation. We're as urgent as ever to see a growing hub church here in Crawley that grows in diversity and is pumping full of real kingdom life and is building bridges into nations and sending and releasing and encouraging and and planting. But not through just doing it all ourselves like we did when we were 21 years old. But by multiplying sons and daughters and by raising mothers and fathers. More fills. I think this word is the kind of prophetic backdrop to some of the things we've been sharing pragmatically with you about growing the staff team, hiring a youth pastor, um, making plans and praying and dreams about how we extend this building uh, for the next uh, season of church life together. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of David, about some of his key family relationships. We're part of an apostolic family. And how do we we grow spiritual mothers and fathers in our context? How do we grow mothers and fathers that relate healthily to sons and daughters in the family of God so we nurture, encourage and release rather than crush and control? I I had so much opportunity given to me in my teens, in my 20s. Sometimes I look now, not at you guys, obviously in your teens and 20s, but I think, wow, would, would I entrust what was entrusted to me to these guys? They're at the stage I was at. They probably know more than I knew. Would, am I ready to entrust that to them? We're going to learn some of this stuff about kingdom family life so that we see the kingdom of God spread and grow and multiply into the next generation Can I hear you just say an amen of agreement to that, please? That's good. You're with me. So today we start a little bit at the end of David's story in order to go back this scene in 2 Samuel. I love Nathan the prophet. You know, there's a a sense oftentimes we're moving along in church life and we've just got a sense of what God's doing. Nathan says, yeah, great, David. It seems right. Build a temple. You go for it, my buddy. They've walked together. David's confronted, been confronted by Nathan at times, really uh, difficult moments over his adultery with Bathsheba. These are two guys that trust one another intimately. Nathan knows David, David's heart. David knows Nathan's heart. And so Nathan says, yeah, you go for it. You build a house for God, David. You build this temple. And then in the night, God speaks, messes up all the best laid plans. Here's the first thing this morning. We're, we're a prophetic people. Um, our, our strategy is Good. Our our plans are good. But when God speaks clearly, we need to listen. We've got two of these for a reason, hey? We need to listen. Um, we're, we're complete, let, here's a newsflash maybe for some of you. We're completely dependent on God's leadership, on God's voice. We don't, I haven't got a, a New Frontiers manual that we do church by. We're, we're dependent on the scriptures, the truth of God, the, the discernment of what the Holy Spirit say. Jesus said over and over again as he taught his disciples, I only do what I see my father doing. I love that in the night, even when Nathan's been in agreement with David, in the night he's open enough to respond and say, oh yeah, you're, you're speaking God. How, how are you in the night? Just when you're awake and you think, oh, is God speaking? I'm just going to roll over and go back. I'll put on a podcast and just listen to that for a while, get back to sleep. No, God speaks in the night. Nathan listens. A new dynasty gets released through David's line. We're people who are trying to create space to listen to God and to to pray. We're not just rushing on with our own agenda. We dare not rush on with our own agenda. We, we just finished a month of devotion, 23 days of prayer and, and fasting. In these seasons of prayer that we punctuate our year with as a church family, we're, we're not 
asking God to rubber stamp our plans. Here we are, we've got it sorted, God, would you just bless it, please? No, we're, we're, we're saying, God, we've got to give you room. We've got to discern what you're saying. We need your direction, your confirmation, even your surprises that make us make a left turn when we thought we were turning right. And we see that all the way through scriptures. I love uh, the Apostle Paul when he's thinking, it seems good to him and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go into the province of Asia, preach the gospel, plant churches, Acts 16. But in the night, he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Acts 16, 9 and 10 says, so in the morning, they got ready and they at once to leave. They got ready at once to leave. There's an immediate obedience, having heard God speak in the night. It's the same for us here, church. We are led and directed by the prophetic. It's where our strategy comes from. It's, it's what we seek to obediently act on, like Paul, like we see David doing in his fathering and his stewarding of the prophetic. For Kaz and I, when we were first married, we, we had a plan and, and some of the, the New Frontiers team at the time, had a, we think, had a plan for us. We were going to go to London, be part of a big church, find what we had in terms of leadership gift, early 20s, and then they were going to release us to plant a church in London. Great plan. Still waiting for it. Haven't got there yet. Not got in the M25 yet. Um, but we had one weekend in the north with some friends. Began to think, is God speaking to us? Then a normal, ordinary Sunday night church prayer meeting. A couple of weeks later, a guy we didn't know picked us out with a prophetic word. Told us, you're moving to the north of England. God's got different plans for you. Everything changed in a moment. You know, three months after that, we, were, we bought a house in the north, the frozen north. We were living there. When God speaks, there's an immediately in our obedience. We want to continue in that way into the next generation, don't we? The prophetic always brings a challenge. Um, certainly often brings a mindset or a cultural jump kind of challenge. Acts chapter 10, you, you may be familiar with the story of, of Peter. He's just been sharing the gospel with the Jews. Jewish people, seeing churches planted uh, amongst them. Then as he's having an afternoon nap, um, he gets a, a, a vision of all these different foods that he thinks he's not allowed to eat as a Jew. And God says, no, you can take and eat. And at that moment, there's a knock on the door from a Greek uh, heritage man saying, come to my house. Come and preach the gospel. He goes to Cornelius' house. The Greeks get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter says reluctantly to his Jewish buddies, is there anything to stop us seeing these guys baptized too? They've received the same Holy Spirit that we have. It was the prophetic in an afternoon nap. I'm, I'm at a stage of life now where I'm praying, God, I don't want the ones in the night. I, I'm, I'm believing you to receive prophetic direction in my afternoon nap. So I'm going to Invest in those, I think. We've got a sofa upstairs in our new office now. It's a prophetic nap sofa. Trust me. If you, if you see me on there, that's what's happening. Um, and there's an immediately again in, in Peter's response and in ours too. Joe, as we come out of this month of, of prayer and devotion, we've, we've just, um, we're gathering our elders team uh, this Wednesday afternoon. It's great. It's, it's tough for the guys. They're not all on. It's just Danny and me and Kaz that are on the staff. But the other guys are taking time out of their schedule to be with us, to be together so we can pray, so we can hear God speak. Um, we're we're recognising, God, you, you've brought us so far. We've come a long way together for, for us over the last eight or nine years, for this church over the last 40 or so years. But we feel like we're at point A again now. feel like we're, we're just on the tipping point of something fresh. So we're, we're, we're going to be praying this Wednesday. God, what are you saying? What are you doing? We're expecting you to hear you speak um, and to direct us as we move forward. Not just with our plans for building and staff team uh, and our growing diversity. But what are you saying to us with the gospel locally, globally? Have you got some surprises for us? 
And our obedient response to what God is saying and the kingdom mission requires some jumps in thinking, some new ways of working, some new ways of stewardship and priorities. But that's how we roll as kingdom people. Uh, I love Paul and Barnabas. where They, they had a similar day to what we're going to have on Wednesday. They were with the elders at Antioch. Um, Barnabas and Saul at that point. Saul was, Paul became Paul, but at that point he was still called Saul. And uh, they were part of the eldership team in Antioch, Acts 13. They were just having a prayer day together. And the Holy Spirit did one of those surprise calls again. No afternoon naps here. They're praying and fasting. They're going for it. He says, set apart Saul and Barnabas. They're going to go plant churches around the Greek-speaking world. Is another immediately coming. So we laid hands on them and sent them. Wow, who knows what might happen on Wednesday as we gather with the elders. When, when we see these responses, there was some nervous looks around the room there. Um, don't mind Greece. Dave's nodding over there. That's fine. When we see this kind of response to the prophetic in the scriptures, it's just what we observe in the heart of David as he responds to, to Nathan. There's, there's worship. There's humility. David, in that, the passage we just read, God, who am I? Who am I that you'd use me? Who's my family? That, that, that you would invite us into your plans. And then we find in David's story an immediate change of thinking and focus, an increase of his vision, a bigger picture understanding, a clear focus on how he's building relationships and how he's stewarding the prophetic. So we'll, we'll just use those as, as our headings for the next few minutes before we pray and respond together. So next thing, the prophetic enlarges our vision. God says to David through Nathan, you were going to construct a temple. Great plan. Nice. Thanks so much. But I'm building something so much more than a temple of stone or cedar, actually, as he talks about here. Beautiful wood, cedar. I'm, I'm building a homeland for my people. I'm going to impact a whole nation. I'm ready to produce a, de- a dynasty of leaders who are after my heart. Out of your line, David, out of your body, The Messiah is going to come. David wouldn't have understood half of the weight and the import of what the prophet Nathan was saying to him. So from this small beginning with David, this grand future hope that will encompass all the people of God, even us, is being opened up just because David listened in the nighttime. I love these kinds of kingdom principles from the small to the greater, from the lesser to the greater. When you're entrusted with small things, you get entrusted with greater responsibility. That's how the kingdom of God works, doesn't it? Matthew 25 and other parables of Jesus teach us that. It's how kingdom stewardship works. It has to. Because God always has a much bigger vision than we have realized. There's a time for us in church life where the limits of my horizon were in in kingdom life were God we'd love to see our church and a home multiply to two homes where people meet I remember praying and fasting for for us to break through the 30 number barrier in terms of the numbers of people we were gathering I remember praying and fasting with the little church group for our first non-white family to join us in the church. I remember praying and fasting, I shared this with you before, for, for this impossible goal of a thousand pounds in our first gift day. They, they were the limits of our horizon at the time. They were impossible in God. We had to trust God. We had to find faith in him. But you know, it turned out they weren't the end point. They weren't the finish line. They were just tiny little staging po- po- points along the way. Kaz and I had a few days away this week. We were climbing the Shropshire Hills and I said, oh, we'll stop for a drink and a sandwich 
uh, when we get to the top of this hill there. Of course, you know how it is when you climb a hill. You get to the top of the hill, it opens up. What's there? It's another hill. <laughs> it just keeps going up. This is how it is in the kingdom of God. God says, well done. You got there. You trusted me. Now, here's another challenge. Your, your vision is going to be bigger than you realized. Um, the lesser to the greater. Um, since then, we've... we've I, we used to pray for, for one group to multiply to two. Now we've seen loads of churches planted. We've seen churches growing. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people saved and added over the years. I've got lists of many who've been healed when I remember fighting for the first healing breakthrough. We've, we've been able to encourage believers all over the world and see church plants strengthened and, and bring through leaders that we've sent on to other places to plant and support. We've, instead of trying to raise a thousand pounds, probably over the 25 years, since we may even have, have given millions of pounds away. I'm left with David saying, oh, who knew God? How humbling that you would use us, our family, our ordinary churches. What a God we have. You're so worthy of our worship. Who knew your plans were higher than ours all along? This is the principle of the lesser to the greater in the kingdom of God. You thought you were building a house for me, but I'm going to build something greater through you. I took you from a shepherd boy, um, minding your father's sheep to shepherding people. Now you're going to shepherd a nation. You know, friends, that's how it works. You, you may think, well, my life is not like, I'm not a king like David. But in the insignificant, in the small things, they matter in the kingdom of God. In your home, in your small group, in our church. Yeah, we're going to work hard for God. But he's growing his kingdom. His mission is to grow a family that bear his name. His likeness that live as worshippers that spread and fill the earth. He's going to provide shepherds and keep us safe. We, we do it in faith. Even the small insignificant things that you think. Some of you here, I, we remember it well when the kids were little and you're trying to do Bible readings and prayers at breakfast time or around a dinner table in the evening or after baths and before bed and you kind of go downstairs afterwards and scratch your head and think, is any of this sinking in? Are they remotely interested? You know, uh, it's, uh, yeah, keep going. These small and insignificant things. Do you know how significant it is when you decide on a Wednesday evening at 7.30 and, and the, the TV remote is Paul is speaking to you with an audible voice saying, just binge something on Netflix tonight. And you say, no, do you know what? I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to go five minutes down the road to a, a, a really ordinary small group because I want to help someone grow as a disciple of Jesus tonight. This is the kind of principle we're talking about here from the lesser to the greater in faith. It's a picture of what God's doing as we just obey him in faith day by day, week by week. It's a much bigger picture than this actually that we see in Nathan's word with David. It's not just a picture of what God will do in your home, with your children, with your friends, in your sphere of influence. It's not just a picture of what God's doing in a church like ours or a family of churches like ours. It's a prophetic picture of our future hope in Jesus Christ. The, the true shepherd king that Nathan didn't even know he was pointing to was Jesus Christ. He's coming into the world. He's the new, true, and perfect David. One day he's going to come back and be king who rules over everything, with everything under his feet, on a restored heaven on earth where there's no more pain, no more sighing, no more sin. Where Nathan speaks about rest from your enemies. Every enemy will be under Jesus' feet by then. Even sin and death. 
Satan will be gone. There'll be final rest from everything. There'll be a son of David, the son of David, who will reign forever. He, he's the son where, where um, Nathan prophesies, yeah, this, this son will, will I'll know him as a son and he'll know me as a, as a father, says the Lord. Uh, there's a son of David coming who will say, Abba, Father. Uh, and his father in heaven will re- reply, this is my beloved son with whom I'm so very pleased. And he's going to pour out his spirit in abundance on him and over his church. This is what we're a part of. This is the story that the shepherd king Jesus brings us into. Nathan speaks that prophecy. It's over us today. We're written into the story. And what you do in your home, what we do in our ordinary lives together as a kingdom family is much, much bigger than we think. It's part of a much bigger story. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm getting carried away, but let me just try and move quickly through these other things. The prophetic sorts out our priorities. It clarifies our job description. What's that one? Have I gone too far? Enlarges our vision. Ah, oh, there we are. Sorts out our priorities. Um, David, you thought you were going to build me a temple, but I'm going to build a house for you. So David gets a new job spec. He's been aiming at the temple in his heart ever since he danced in an undignified way, like I did in worship this morning. Danced before the Lord and brought the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines into Jerusalem. David's dreamed about getting the the presence of God out from a tent and into a palace, a temple. Um, But God's giving him a, a greater job spec now. It doesn't involve bricks and mortar. In this prophetic passage, and we see it growing then in David's life, David's told, your job is to raise sons and daughters, descendants who will come after you, who will build a strong kingdom and have this special father-son relationship with God. Yeah, there's places and cities and battles to fight, nations to expand into. If you read on into chapter 8, the battles carry on, the fighting continues. But now for David with this clarified vision, it's not about my legacy. Uh, David knows I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to raise sons and daughters that carry forward the promise of God. The earth is going to get filled. The churches are going to get planted. Leaders are going to get sent. Local communities are going to get impacted. We're in this promise that Nathan spoke over David. Do you know, most church movements like ours don't grow into the second or third generation. We're we're in the third generation now. You may not know it, but churches like ours, uh, what we uh, used to call the the kind of house church movement, began in the 1970s, early 1980s, as the Holy Spirit got poured out in a fresh way on traditional denominational churches that were dead and dry in the UK. My parents' generation, it was like an old wineskin, couldn't contain this new wine of the kingdom. Some churches got transformed, but many little groups came out and started new churches in homes where the life of the Spirit was welcome. That was the beginning of this church, Dave and ours, Teenagers were part of a a little rebel group that came out of Three Bridges Free Church. Having met with the Holy Spirit saying, we've tasted a new wine. We can't go back. Uh, And and so this this new generation began. Uh, But now we're in the third generation. Um, I I grew up as a child in that. My parents came out of the Salvation Army, baptized in the Holy Spirit, helped to plant a church that I grew up in. But now my kids are adults in churches like ours. This is vital for us to learn. We need to hear this. Most third generation movements settle. They lose their pioneering edge. They don't mean to. It just happens. They build their houses, their structures, build a nice headquarters, tarmac the car park. Um, They put nameplates up on the doors, give their senior leaders big parking spaces. We write books about the old days. Was there a yes there? (laughs) Hey, Katie's told you this morning, handbags, parking spaces, uh-uh. 
we hire and put into positions of leadership managers instead of pioneers, people who are not any longer hearing a prophetic call to continue to trust God for structures that bring life and take risks. Instead, we build structures where we just feel safe, where we can maintain what we have. It's leadership of diminishing returns. That's what happens. Church history is full of these stories in the second, third generation. When my parents left the Salvation Army two, three generations before, when that was born in the, in the 1860s, 70s, that was a, a dynamic, spirit-filled, pioneering church planting movement. And uh, three generations later, my mum and dad were told, there's no room for this move of the spirit. You, our way or the, the highway. That's what happens in second, third, fourth generations, diminishing returns. Do you know, David had a grandson, Solomon, his son, who built the temple. Sorry if I've spoiled the plot for you. Then his son, uh, Rehoboam, David's grandson. Two chronicles, you can read about it. Just, just two generations on from David. And all the, all the heritage and glory and promise that David carried in this moment we've been reading about this morning. And Rehoboam turned from the Lord, it says in two chronicles. And Egypt was sent by God. The Egyptians came. They, they pillaged uh, Jerusalem. They took away all the gold, all the treasures of the temple that Solomon had, had put there after this promise to David. There's just one story that caught my eye this, this week. It says the king used to walk from the, the palace to the temple accompanied by his guards. They carry these big, heavy gold shields. There was so much gold in David and Solomon's day. But after Rehoboam turned from the Lord, and the Egyptians plundered all their fancy gold shields. It says, Rehoboam then walked from the palace to the temple with his guards holding bronze shields. Bronze shields. You know, third generation movements say, bronze is okay. Bronze is nice. It's a precious metal. But they'd had gold. If ever there's a picture of diminishing glory and wasted legacy, it's the bronze shields of Rehoboam. And so David receives this word from Nathan. He worships and it's, it's his determined priority then to change his focus to raising a family that will carry this legacy forward. It matters today for us how we respond. It matters as we preach this stuff. We don't want a nice series on David. It really matters. Are we going to produce more Davids in the next generation? Or are we going to say bronze is okay? We settle for some rare bones. Wow, God, I want Davids. I'm praying for Davids. I'm fighting for Davids as we move forward. Um, Psalm 128 says, children born to a young man like arrows in a warrior's hand. I'm praying over our young people. These days, young people are 20s and 30s as well. Never mind our teenagers and our kids in kids' church right now. May they go further. May they fly straighter. May they go deeper into the target. It matters today. I'm believing there's an acceleration coming for those of us who will focus our priorities because of this accelerated call, uh, prophetic call into building kingdom families. And just briefly, David stewards the prophetic in, in two ways. I do just want to make room to pray and worship together for a couple of minutes. The two ways David stewards this are relational and practically. Both are important, actually. You, you can't grow a kingdom family without, without stewardship in both areas. If you just build re- great relationships, you never really move forward with any intention. <laughs> you just have a lovely, happy family. If you just build structures with real purpose, you can grow a great organization, but there's no family. David models both for us. And we're a family with a purpose. So he models 
relationships. This is mothering and fathering. Um, he helps Solomon into his own relationship. Verse 14, God says, uh, prophesies over Solomon, I'll be his father and he'll be my son. Uh, I think as someone who's brought up sons and daughters, there are all kinds of things that you want to teach your children, not least to support Brighton and Hove Albion, all that kind of stuff. But the most significant uh, issue and priority for a father is to see your children come to know their heavenly father as their own, to truly relate to him, to see that moment where your kids say, my father, my God, not just my parents' faith. For them to know my identity is as a child of God. It's not just my family name. And, and for those of you here who don't have children of your own, uh, you've never had children, or maybe your kids have grown up now, um, it, it's the same for us all in discipleship. It's the same principle. You and I get to mother and father a whole new generation of, of believers in the family of God to bring them into this deeply uh, secure and deeply rooted identity as children of the Father. Uh, Phil helped me with that. Kaz has got an old auntie, Auntie Sue, um, one of those church aunties. We love having Uncle Aref here as well. We need church aunties and uncles, spiritual mothers and, and fathers. Auntie, auntie Sue prayed for Kaz since she was a baby. Uh, I call her old Auntie Sue and think, oh yeah, mothering and fathering spiritually, that's for old people. No, Auntie Sue began that. She was in her 20s probably when she began praying for you, when she took this seriously, this call to pray for the next generation. Uh, I know some of you are doing that for your own children, but we really honor those here who are doing it for our children together as well. I, I love the attitude of Malcolm and Nick. I love I love that Mal sits down with one of my sons and goes through Grudem's systematic theology with him every other week. I love Malcolm and Nick's attitude to, to care for our kids. We just honour that. I love John T, who just wants to serve our teenagers and see them grow strong. I love, I love Sarah Stallard, who said, I'm going to invest in the next generation of children in our, our kids' church. This is what mothering and fathering looks like in the kingdom of God. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, there's no more important truth for our children, our teenagers, our young people to know. For all the wealth that David could leave his next generation, his new mandate now is that your son Solomon will know who his heavenly father is. And do you know what happens? You read on in the story, 1 Kings 3, by the time Solomon's on his throne, he doesn't speak about God the way some of the other kings do. Oh, the God of my fathers. He, he cries out, 1 Kings 3, 7, oh God, my God. Wow, David's done his job at that moment. Tick. Um, he, he's, his job spec has been fulfilled. It's the most important thing to see the next gen come through, to love Jesus for themselves. We're not just passing on an inheritance of a building here to the next generation, some nice ministries, a good strong staff team, some money in the bank, though that would be nice, um, some bronze shields. That's not what we're here for, but we want to send out these doors pumping full of faith, a generation that are carrying in our hearts a deep love for Jesus, a personal sense of his call on their lives, and a desire to worship him through the way they steward what's in their hands. That's why we're doing disciples with our kids. That's why we're not just babysitting them down the, the, the corridor, um, but we're, we're learning to worship and grow together as a big family. That's why it's important Katie does some teaching in the room with all of us. You might think, I'm not in kids' church. Why am I listening to Katie teach about bags? Because we're growing together as a family and learning to equip the next generation because of this kind of prophetic promise so that one day our children say, my Lord and my God, and so that we don't have a generation with, with a kind of form of godliness but no deep-rooted sense of belonging to God, just some traditional form of Christianity. Wow, we're raising sons and daughters. We're living as mothers and fathers. We're, we're all involved in that. In fact, many of us are 
both sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. If you're in this family, or if you want to be in this family, that's what we're calling you to be, a son and a daughter and a mother and a father. It is the mission because God's building a bigger house than we realized and we're all involved. Oh, I've got some things to say about Saul and Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and how the old apostle John speaks over young men, but I'll, I'll leave that for uh, another time. I, I love that this week, in, a Friday night in solid, Dave and Al were with our teenagers, just pumping them with an adventure, a life of adventure in God. I, I love that when kids' church puppets are doing teaching, they're, 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 <laughs> they're talking about stories of heroes of the faith. George Muller, I think this is brilliant, because we've got a prophetic mandate to steward something relationally as mothers and fathers. It's our strategy. And, and finally, before we pray, let me just do this very briefly. David stewards the prophetic practically in, in finance and in strategy. It's not just relationship. He's already getting, making provision ready for the next generation. Not just talk. Not just, hey, nice meetings, cool atmosphere, great to have the kids involved. No, no. It's, it's real thought-through strategic stewardship. If you read on uh, later on to 1 Chronicles uh, 22, 1 Chronicles 29, you find examples of David investing his own personal treasures into a temple-building project that he knows he's never going to see. That's amazing, isn't it? He's, doing, he's investing something strategically for the next generation. It's also great leadership because the people that are with him, the leaders that are with him, they see his example of generosity for a future that he won't have himself. And they also give generously. Uh, and then it says in, in, um, later on in, in 2 Chronicles, I think verse, verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 29, that all the people rejoiced to see David and his leaders giving so generously. And so they gave generously as well and worshipped happily. What a joy it is to be part of a generous, happy, worshipping church that are sowing into kingdom life. Yeah, with our finances, even for things that we may not control or lead ourselves. I love the way David, as you read on through his story, he's consistently, constantly sharing the vision with the people for this kind of family. 1 Chronicles 28, he repeats himself again. He involves the whole community of the people in the vision. He charges them and charges Solomon with, with their responsibility to, to carry on moving it forward even as he gives in everything that he can hey church if you stick around in the next season I haven't got another message this is what we're doing this is the prophetic call that is on us and like David we're going to continue to share the vision let's stand together shall we some application what about us oh thank you yeah Carlos Anna guys just come worship we just got five, six minutes or so. We're, we're a family. We're not an organization. I hope the Holy Spirit's spoken something to your heart today. I know it's a kind of prophetic, visionary word, but I just wanted to set the tone before we dig down into the, the story. We're here to be a family that blesses Crawley and blesses the nations, sons and daughters, spiritual mothers and fathers. We carry that in our households. We carry that here as the household of faith. We're stewarding it relationally. We're stewarding it practically. It's bigger than we think. Just pray with me for a moment. God, what about my home? Why don't you lift your hands to the Lord? My home, my priorities. What have you given me? Who have you given me? Who's in my house? Who's in my small group? Who are the friends in my sphere of influence? Hey, even a have coffee with in a moment. Who am I helping to grow in this family? Holy Spirit, will you speak right now to us? I pray every disciple here would have the sense of call 
to get alongside another disciple, to walk with them, to see them grow. Lord, I pray right now and through this series, you will be shaping mothers and fathers, new Phils, new Auntie Sues, yeah, young ones and older ones. Lord, I pray for an attitude of sons and daughters in all of us. Who can I learn from? Who can I walk alongside to say, I want to learn that from you. I love what you have in God in that area. I, I want to walk with you, pray with you, have your influence in my life. Holy Spirit, just be speaking to us now, we pray.